0: Immunocast is brought to you by ImmunoCap specific IgE testing and Fadia Laboratory Systems, products of Thermo Fisher Scientific. The content of this podcast is not intended to be and should not be interpreted as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. For patients, any medical questions pertaining to one's own health should be discussed with a healthcare provider.
1: I'm Gary Falsitano, a licensed PA with over 11 years' experience in allergy and immunology.
2: And I'm Luke Lemons with over five years of experience writing for healthcare providers and educating on allergies. You're listening to Immunocast, your source for medically and scientifically backed allergy insights. Today, we got a really interesting episode for you. We're doing a fireside chat around symptom threshold. This is the first fireside chat episode that we've done. And to give our listeners a little bit of background on what that means, with Immunocast, we've divided a lot of our episodes into four different buckets and fireside chat is one of them And any episode you see with fireside chat in the title means Gary and I are going to be talking about a very specific part of allergies and we're going to just give a little more detail. It's not going to be as clinical as a curbside console episode that you, you may have seen. So today we're going to be talking about the symptom threshold when it comes to allergies. Yeah. So I, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the symptom threshold and how
1: it sometimes I think is either not thought about or, you know, partially misunderstood by clinicians and also how understanding it can really help improve patients' understanding of their disease and how to manage it.
2: And with allergy season coming on soon, it's a good concept to understand when you see patients and when they're coming into your clinic. And if, you're a patient listening to this episode, this is just a good bit of knowledge that will help you stay more informed as you experience allergies throughout the year.
1: Exactly. And and hopefully, once we, you know, finish this discussion, clinicians may want to even share this episode with their patients to better help them understand.
2: Yeah. So let's get into it. Why don't we start first with how one becomes allergic? Because I think that's where the story starts with symptom threshold.
1: Sure. So, I mean, we know allergies are, are an, a, kind of an atypical response to something that we really shouldn't be responding to, right? So, uh, you know, uh, whether it be a, an environmental allergen, a pollen, or a food, but it requires sensitization first, right? So we actually have to be exposed to, to an allergen. The body, you know, uh, sees that allergen as an invader and obviously produces antibodies. In this case, we're talking about IgE antibodies, the ones that are consistent with, you know, type one hypersensitivity reactions.
2: And what, this sensitization, Gary, can it happen, you know, can I be sensitized to something one week and then the next week become allergic? Or what's the time scale on that? I know it's different for food and respiratory, but can you explain a little more about that? Yeah. So I
1: think, you know, it's one of the things that I I think is a little bit complex in that we can certainly – develop sensitizations at any time during the lifespan. And those sensitizations may or may not cause clinical reactivity, depending on our levels of tolerance to those you know, specific antigens or allergens.
2: So when someone says that it's a bad allergy season, and they're really shown out with runny nose, sneezing, itchy eyes, it may be because there's a lot of pollen. But you were mentioning when we were talking before uh, recording this episode, something called a, a cumulative threshold, and that's what allergies are, cumulative threshold disease, right? Yeah, exactly. So a cumulative threshold disease really, you know, it, 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 it's, it's
1: to think about it simply, it's not just one sensitization necessarily, right? Or one allergy sense, uh, necessarily that causes your symptoms. Now it may. You can certainly just be, you know, have, a, have an allergy to, say, birch tree pollen, have a really bad birch tree pollen season, and have pretty severe symptoms. But most people aren't like that, right? We know that around 80% of people who are allergic are allergic to more than one thing. And those different allergies add up. And that's where we get that cumulative threshold disease or a cumulative threshold concept from.
2: And the best way that I like to understand this, this concept of the symptom threshold for allergies is having an empty glass and you have on the side, a bunch of other allergens and you, you know, you put a, a shot of pollen in a splash of dog dander, and then maybe like a little bit of dust mites. And all of a sudden the glass is overflowing and that overflowing is when we see symptoms and knowing that, how can somebody prevent their glass from overflowing?
1: Yeah, so that that that's I, I think a great visualization, Luke. So if we think about that instead of a glass, let's think of it as a maybe a, a, a almost a sun tea container, maybe with a spigot at the bottom. Right, everybody can kind of visualize that if we can pour off a little bit of that allergen exposure from the bottom, we can keep it from overflowing. So minimizing exposure to the no- things we know we're sensitized to, and again, not putting someone in a bubble, right? We typically, especially when we're talking about environmental allergens, it can be really hard to just eliminate them completely. But if we reduce exposure and limit our, our exposure to some of those things that we know we're allergic to, we can keep that glass from overflowing.
2: Yeah, and before we get into some management tips, I have to ask, is is the symptom threshold the same for food allergies? Is that, is that a concept that's also with food allergies? Because I've only ever really understood it with respiratory allergies.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so we all, you know, I'm sure everyone has heard cases where someone is exposed to a trace amount of food and has a severe reaction. And another patient who has that same, say, peanut allergy can be exposed to maybe one or two peanuts and not have a, and, and not have a reaction. So there are different thresholds. People have different levels of, of tolerance and, and, and thresholds, whether it be food or
2: environmental allergens. So it's less of a... Allergies aren't a binary disease. It's not that you have allergies and you're sneezing a lot. It's a spectrum. And depending on that threshold you may be reacting differently based on the amounts as well that you're exposed to. Absolutely. and I was so going to say,
1: yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I was going to say, you know, and it's and it's not just allergens, right? That can that can change that threshold. So we know that, uh, for instance, in in the fall, we can have, um, you know, an increase in viral illnesses, right? Or the fall and winter time, and those viral illnesses can increase airway inflammation. Then, when we have allergy on top of that, it can make you surpass that symptom threshold even faster. So it's not just allergens.
2: Oh, interesting. So you're saying. Sometimes viruses can contribute to that as well. So like, you're not allergic to the viruses, but it's the symptoms itself.
1: Exactly, because the viruses are causing inflammation in those airways, whether if it's upper airways, right, with rhinitis, and then you're exposed to an allergen that you're sensitized to and allergic to, and it increases that inflammation even more and pushes you over the symptom threshold.
2: Can this threshold change over time? I know that I had really bad allergies when I was a kid to pollen and mold, outside mold, and I don't have that necessarily anymore. Could it be that my symptom threshold is changing? I also don't live where I grew up. So maybe that's the case too.
1: Yeah, it could be all of the above, right? But we definitely see uh, thresholds change over time. You know, you mentioned food allergy. We know that young children who are, you know, allergic to things like milk or eggs or wheat. Typically, develop tolerance to those by the time they reach adolescent. Not all, of course, but but you know they certainly do. So so thresholds there change. Um, we know that as people age, their immune responses uh, decrease a bit. So we tend to see allergic responses kind of follow that and decrease as as we age as well. Again, individual patients can always you know kind of go against that that standard, but that's certainly what we see as a as a trend.
2: Okay, and managing allergies. You you mentioned earlier that uh, reducing the amount of allergic triggers could keep somebody from going over their symptom threshold. So I know we can't live in a bubble all the time. You can't walk around your neighborhood chopping down every maple tree that you see because you have a doctor's note. It's, al- <laughs> um, it's also frowned upon. Quite yeah, it's, a bit. it's frowned yeah. upon. It's not permissible. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. like the, Let's <laughs> the not destroy rainforests
1: because you have a pollen allergy loop. Okay? <laughs>
2: exactly. So. Um, but there are things that, that people can do and that providers can recommend patients do that, that can reduce their symptoms, especially with dust mites, dog and cat dander. Could you talk about a little of those? Yeah. So, you know,
1: as you said, we can't put people in a bubble, but I think once we know what we're sensitized and allergic to, then we can really focus on those things, minimize certainly our exposure. But I think one key concept to remember is having a safe sleep space. So the area that we spend eight, nine, you know, Sometimes, especially with children, right, and adolescents, 10 hours a day in this single environment, right, of the bedroom and the sleep space, if we can protect that sleep space as much as possible. So think about anything you're allergic to that's found in the bedroom already. So things like dust mites, things potentially like mold. If we can decrease those levels in the bedroom, that can have a positive impact on our symptoms. On the flip side, things that are found outside of the bedroom. So pollens, we try not to bring them in, keeping windows closed during pollen season, changing your clothes before you go into the bedroom and and sleep. You should never sleep in the same clothes you've been outside playing or working in you know, Luke, both you and I are a little follically challenged, right? So this isn't a, isn't something we typically worry about. But if you think about it, if you have a full head of hair um, and you're outside working, playing, that pollen will will attach to that hair and then you just put it right in your pillow and sleep with it. So it's important to shower, make sure you get rid of that pollen before you spend time in that sleep space.
2: Yeah. It's the one benefit of losing my hair earlier in life is that I don't have to worry about bringing pollen into my bedroom. That and you've really increased your swimming speed. So yeah, I can can run really fast now, aerodynamic. (laughs) (laughs) So when a patient comes in and they have really bad allergies because let's say it's spring allergy season and over-the-counter medicine isn't working or they're struggling to go about their day, What is something that you recommend being a provider yourself or what have you done in the past to help these patients? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things we forget
1: about, right, is that almost all the allergy medications, whether it be inhaled nasal steroids, whether it be the non-sedating antihistamines, they're all over the counter now. So, you know, more than likely patients have tried these, and if they're coming to the office looking for assistance, they've probably already tried this. Now we certainly, you know, can, can help them making sure they're taking the correct medications and, and utilizing them appropriately, but we, they really need more insight into their disease. And finding out, number one, is it allergy or not? I'm sure we'll do an entire episode on non-allergic versus allergic rhinitis. But, you know, even with allergic asthma, and we'll do another episode on allergic asthma, but knowing if the symptoms we're having, right, are actually caused by allergic triggers or not is really important. So phenotyping them first, allergic versus non-allergic. And then when they're allergic, telling them exactly what they can focus on. Because I think for too long we've said, oh, you know, there's a bunch of things that you might be allergic to based upon the season, based upon what you're telling me. And when we tell them all of that, they they really don't have anywhere to focus on.
2: Yeah, and... and when it comes to the symptoms threshold, just knowing exactly what each layer could be contributing to their symptoms is is so important because everyone wants to blame the cat, everyone wants to blame the trees. But if somebody has a perennial allergy of dust mites throughout the year, then that might be an easy way to reduce exposure and keep people under, under their symptom that symptom threshold, threshold. Yeah, th- exactly. Yeah. And dust mite covers and. Dust mite bed sheets, all those things are easily accessible exactly, and as
1: you said, perennial right, or year
2: round allergens, so you know they're being exposed to these dust
1: mites year round they have this simmering level of inflammation going on, and then they are you know they have another allergen added on like a pollen or they get a new dog that they're allergic, and that that really sends them above the threshold and they're going to blame the new thing because that's what you see that's what's visible the the dust mite is not visible. It's a great point,
2: yeah, so. To just make sure patients understand what they're allergic to and that can help in managing symptoms and you know of course looking at patient history with testing as well is is the way you can diagnose a clinical allergy that's exactly
1: right right we can't diagnose an allergy based upon testing alone or history alone. And you just reminded me of, of a really important thing. So, you know, as clinicians, I think, uh, especially ones that haven't utilized testing in the past, we tend to think that a good history, right, a really good structured history can tell us what someone's allergic to. And there have been studies that show that that's just not the case. One study that, that looked at general practitioners actually saw a bunch of false positives, so we were blaming the wrong things when based upon history alone. You know, cats and dogs, 30% of the time we were wrong when we guessed that that's what was causing it.
2: Yeah, and I I think I've seen that study that you're talking about, and it's, what, 54% of people who think that they have, or are diagnosed with tree pollen allergy because testing wasn't incorporated, 54% of people don't have tree pollen allergy, but they think that they do. (laughs) That's exactly right, which is why, you know,
1: we're, we're talking predominantly to a primary care audience, but that's exactly why specialists like allergists not only do a great history and, and physical, right, but then they incorporate testing to get to the diagnosis, and that's why it's recommended in all of the major guidelines. You need the two to really come up with a, a, you know, an accurate diagnosis.
2: And all that helps for keeping that symptom threshold below that limit, because at the end of the day, the symptoms that we experience dictate how we go through our lives, and- it's just a, such an interesting concept that truthfully, I didn't understand completely when I first started to uh, learn about allergies and immunology. But it's it's one of my favorite fun facts. And I, it's probably not that fun. I've probably cornered too many people <laughs> at, at a party or something <laughs> talking about the <laughs> symptom threshold. So.
1: <laughs> but it is, but it's such an important concept. And I, th- I think we tend to forget about it for sure.
2: Yeah. And This episode, too, on symptom threshold, like Gary mentioned in the very beginning, could be a good patient education tool if you're trying to give a little more background on why you're recommending to a patient that they need to keep the dog out of the bedroom. Because I can only imagine how hard that conversation is that your pet can no longer sleep in your bed. And you can find more information on the symptom threshold on this episode's page at thermofisher.com slash immunocast, where we have some additional resources that you can use after testing that outline the symptom threshold for patients. Gary, do you have anything else to say on uh, symptom threshold before we wrap up? No, I think just always keeping in
1: mind that it's not always the obvious, you know, allergic trigger that's causing the symptoms or causing a more severe form of the symptoms, you know, keeping in mind that it is a threshold disease, and we need to really explore all the things that could be leading to that increased threshold or exceeding that threshold.
2: Perfect. Well, thanks for listening to Immunocast. And again, don't forget to go to thermofisher.com slash immunocast for additional resources on symptom threshold.
1: We'll see you next time.
2: I-
0: immunocast is brought to you by Immunocap Specific IgE Testing and Fadia Laboratory Systems, products of Thermo Fisher Scientific. For more information on allergies and specific IgE testing, please visit thermofisher.com immunocast. Specific IgE testing is an aid to healthcare providers in the diagnosis of allergy and cannot alone diagnose a clinical allergy. Clinical history alongside specific IgE testing is needed to diagnose a clinical allergy. The content of this podcast is not intended to be and should not be interpreted as or substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any medical questions pertaining to one's own health should be discussed with a healthcare provider.